You're listening to a podcast from Riverview Church in Bowness, recorded during one of our Sunday gatherings. For more information about Riverview Church, or service times, or contact details, go to riverviewchurch.uk or find us on Facebook at Riverview Bowness. Good morning, everyone, and thank you so much for being back with me to look at the third in our series of I Am statements in the New Testament. And today we're looking at, I am the door. You know, Jesus taught spiritual truths very simply, um, and I'm very glad that he did. He really wanted everybody to understand fully what he was saying. And we've already looked at him saying, I am the bread of life, and also I am the light of the world. And now we have the door to consider. Remember, This is Jesus declaring to everyone that he's God. Remember, God had named himself in Exodus when Moses really needed to know who to say had sent him to Pharaoh. God said, tell him, I am has sent you. So we're going to read John's Gospel and chapter 10. And I'm going to start at verse 1. I assure you, most solemnly I tell you, He who does not enter by the door into the sheepfold, but climbs up some other way, is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. The watchman opens the door for this man, and the sheep listen to his voice and heed it, and he calls his own sheep by name and brings them out. When he has brought his own sheep outside, he goes on before them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. They will never follow a stranger, but will run away from him because they do not know the voice of strangers or recognise their call. Jesus used this parable with them, but they did not understand what he was talking about. So Jesus said again, I assure you, most solemnly I tell you, that I am the door for the sheep. All others who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to and obey them. I am the door. Anyone who enters in through me will be saved. He will come in and he will go out and will find pasture. The thief comes only in order to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they might have and enjoy life and have it in abundance. If you cast your mind back to the previous I am statement, you'll remember that Jesus was in the temple just after the Feast of Tabernacles had ended. And this I am statement carries on from there because Jesus stayed teaching in the temple because the crowds wanted to hear him and there were people there that needed to be healed as well. And Jesus does that. So if we look to chapter 9 of John's Gospel, it talks about the healing of a blind man. And it's really important to remember this man as we come now to look at this statement made by Jesus. This beggar man had been blind from birth and we read there about a conversation that takes place about who it was that sinned to cause this blindness. Jesus tells them, no one sinned, not the man, not the, the, the parents. It was to enable him to show the glory of God. And Jesus does a very strange thing. He spits on the ground and he makes a little paste of mud and he puts it on the man's eyes and he sends him to wash it off in the pool of Siloam. And of course we read that when the beggar man did that, 
he was immediately healed. His sight returned, which was great. And you would think that everyone would be thrilled about that. But the Pharisees were really unhappy about this. And they said they were unhappy because it was Shabbat, it was Sabbath. No one's allowed to work on Shabbat. And so they questioned the man. And he simply tells them what happened. But then we read that these scribes, the Pharisees, the Jewish leaders, they threw him out of the temple. He's effectively excommunicated. And he goes back to Jesus. And Jesus is there to reassure him that he has met with the Son of Man. And we see this man, this, this healed, blind beggar man, recognise the deity of Jesus, that he is indeed God and worship him. Jesus does not desert the beggar man and he will never reject the bewildered. No matter the circumstances in your situation, Jesus' promise to be with you is always true. He will never, ever leave you. When other helpers fail and comforts flee, Jesus still understands and draws near. Jesus must really have despaired of the Jewish leaders. They were the people who had, were responsible for the flock of Israel. But you know, they got so wrapped up in the law and their own traditions surrounding it that they were lacking in compassion and really failed to be what God had called them to be. They were totally lost themselves. They couldn't see beyond the end of their nose. If it had been me, I would have despaired. And you know what? I suspect God did too. But we see Jesus now still in the temple, carrying on teaching truth. And now again, he seeks to illuminate for his listeners the intangible name of God, giving it clear identity in the form of an ordinary object that his listeners would readily identify with. The imagery he uses now was well known in the society of Jesus' day because sheep farming was staple to the economy. The sheep pen Jesus describes is not like we would expect to see nowadays on the farms around our town, but the people listening to Jesus would have been very familiar with the picture of a sheep pen door. The pen was usually an enclosure made of rocks piled high to make a wall, sometimes maybe about 10 feet high, and it would just have an opening for the door. There was no wooden door. There was no gate. The shepherd would be the door. He would guard the flock by lying across the opening so anyone or anything trying to enter the pen would have to get by him first. And his business was to ensure that that didn't happen. This wasn't a job where the worker could sleep. He would be on high alert all night. The pen may well have been a large communal enclosure where several flocks were herded for safety during the night. Intruders or robbers could perhaps get in by scaling the wall as it wouldn't, have an, it wouldn't be enclosed with a roof, but they wouldn't be able to get past the shepherd lying across the doorway, effectively being the door. In the morning, the shepherds would come to the pen and call out their sheep and assemble their own flocks to take them off to graze. The sheep knew their shepherd's voice. They wouldn't follow anyone else, not even one of the other shepherds. False shepherds could never lead the sheep. They would have to steal them. The sheep would not follow them. 
Now, remember, this teaching is coming right after the poor blind man has been healed. Not only healed, but thrown out of the temple for trusting Jesus for that healing. Jesus is using parables, or maybe a better word is allegories, that show the crowd who he is as God and why he had to come. He's also showing the Jewish leaders are false shepherds in this implication. They should have cared for the man. They should have been caring for their sheep. But instead, they mistreated him and threw him out because of their obsession with trying to get one over on Jesus and their obsession with keeping rules. Their dereliction to duty is apparent. But let's concentrate on the statement Jesus makes here. He says, I am the door. He actually, in these three, a few verses, according to the theologian Arthur Pink, I just love his name, he talks of three doors, but it's not three different doors, but three different ways to look at the door. In verse one, he's the door into the sheepfold. Do you know, Old Testament scriptures are plentiful in proclaiming that Jesus is talking about the nation of Israel. He's not talking about heaven in this instance, as is sometimes preached. Because he came to earth initially to bring his own people, the people who had been set apart for God, the children of Israel, the people waiting for Messiah to be born, back to himself. And chapter 9 just shows how well that was going at this point. So secondly, he says in verse 7 that he's the door of the sheep. This is the door that leads people out of their present fold. Jesus speaking to the crowd. So it was about Judaism with its laws and traditions and into a time of grace. This is the picture of the shepherd lying across the doorway, being the door. Christ opened the way for multitudes to leave the old religious system and find new life in him. And verse 9, the door of salvation. The sheep using this door go in and out, which speaks of liberty. They have eternal life. It's no longer about rule keeping and working for safe passage. They can enjoy the rich green pastures of God's word. Satan through his false shepherds, the thieves and the robbers, want to steal and kill and destroy the sheep. On the other hand, Christ gives abundant life and cares for the sheep. Well, we can see the truth being told in that. But what is Jesus saying to us Gentiles today through this allegory? As I'm sure you will expect from me, I want to give you three points to take with you into the new week, to remember and chew upon, so God can really speak truth into your life. I just want to stop at this point and really encourage you to use Jessica's Go Deeper Notes to allow God to speak further into your life. And I want to really commend Jess for the work she puts into these notes each week. They are such a blessing and she produces them so quickly for us. So thank you sincerely, Jess. So three points I want to bring to you from this passage of scripture today. The first is that Jesus is the door. The second is that Jesus is the only door. And the third is Jesus is the door for all who believe. So point one, Jesus is the door. What's a door for? Well, surely it's just for exiting and entering some kind of building. 
In this case, it's for exiting and entering the sheep pen. The shepherd lying over it in in Jesus' illustration is keeping his sheep safe inside. Jesus is the door, yes, but that door is the door to so much that God has for us. Listen, he's the door to forgiveness. I don't think there is anything harder to carry around than guilt. Guilt weighs people down on the inside dreadfully. But we're told in John 3 and verse 17, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Is that not so amazing? Remember the woman caught in adultery as we, that we looked at um, in the statement made by Jesus, I am the light of the world. He says to her, I do not condemn you. Go and stop sinning. Jesus came to deal with the sin problem for us. He's not light on sin. He had to go to a great way to bring us escape from sin. But he did that. He came to give us a way of escape. We no longer need to carry around the guilt because he paid the price for us. And hallelujah, we are free from condemnation. We exit condemnation and we enter into justification. Romans 5 and 1. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. He has paid in full for us. We are not condemned. We are justified. Hallelujah. He is the door to forgiveness. He's also the door to life. Do you know, so many people have this misguided idea about Christians having life taken from them. When they they become Christians, they say, oh, well, you can't do this and you can't do that. This idea is so far from the truth. Christ came to give us life. We exit spiritual death. And we enter into new life that goes on into eternity. We have a whole new future to look forward to when we become Christians. Ephesians 2 and 1 says this, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Well, that's my life summed up in just a few words. Dead, no way out, except 2 Corinthians 5 and 17 says, Therefore, Is that not an amazing word? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. Selwyn Hughes has said of this verse that it's one of the clearest statements in the New Testament of what happens when a person becomes a Christian. He says it's interesting to compare the first creation with the new creation. Here's what he says. In both cases, prior to creation, There's a formlessness, a void, a meaningless vacuum and darkness. We thought about total darkness last time I spoke and it was interesting to get all your experiences of total darkness. Len said it's tangible. Well, carrying on with what Selwyn Hughes says. Then the Holy Spirit moves upon the face of this dark and empty, purposeless waste and out of chaos comes cosmic. Cosmic means inconceivably vast and that's what Jesus has done in your life and mine. 
what he's done is untellable. It is so big. Jesus is the door, the entrance to this life. He's also the door to heaven. We exit the road to hell and we, that we were on and we enter heaven. And it begins now. Listen, John 3.36 says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. But whoever rejects the Son will, will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. But John 5 and 24, and Jesus speaking, says, I tell you the truth, whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. Exiting death and entering life, that's his wonderful promise to us when we call on his name. All these aspects of the door. When Jesus says, I am the door, there's all of this in it. And I'm sure you can think of even more. So point two, Christ is the only door. It's an I am statement. This is God speaking. All the scriptures we've just read point to one door. There is no other People want to try all sorts of other places to help them find the release they need. But there is no other. And even those in the church need to know that, need to hear that. Church membership won't open the door to eternal life. I once heard a friend describe that folly, actually during an open air service. And he described it in these terms. If you think you can be a Christian by sitting in church, try sitting in the hen house and see if it makes you a chicken. Well, you can try it if you like, but I can tell you it'll never happen. Nor will baptism, or communion, or giving money to church, or giving money to charities, or trying to do good works, or serving false Christ, or, or false doctrines, or any other religion. None of these things will ever make any inroad into finding forgiveness, or new life, or entry into heaven, or eternal life. Listen while I read you Acts 4 and 12. Salvation is found in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Nothing else. No other religion. Some preachers find the word saved an old-fashioned term, but Christ used it and it says what it means. We're saved from the wrath of God, who just cannot look on sin. And finally, point three, Jesus is the door for all who believe. The invitation is for everyone. It's not just for the Jews. God wants everyone to be saved. He issues the invitation to everyone, no matter who, no matter what they've done. No one is exempt. No lives can, sorry, all lives can be redeemed. The way that God opens the door to his kingdom to everyone is amazing. He could have crushed our rebellious ways. He could have wiped mankind off the face of the earth. But instead, he wins us by love. Hanging on Calvary's tree, he demonstrates the depth of his undying love and he shows there is no length to which he will not go to draw us back into his glorious kingdom. John 3.16 says, 
For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Romans 10 and 13 puts it another way. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Isn't saved a great word? And it's for everyone. When Jesus proclaimed, I am the door, he was saying, this door is open for all who wish to enter. It's open to everyone who just recognises that he's a sinner and he needs salvation. Sticking with Romans, go to chapter 3 and verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It's open for all who want to come to him. Listen to what Jesus himself says in John 6 and 37. All that the Father gives to me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive out. He is God for everyone and he's the door for everyone, no matter who you are. Listen, this is what the Bible says in Romans 10 and 12. For there's no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. Those who find this door, find salvation, find peace, find joy, find eternal life. They are saved, no doubt about it. It's all by faith. Jesus is the door and he holds the door open still. All we need to do is to go in and out and find pasture. All we need in him. The God who loved us so much, he came to where we were to lift us up to where he is. I know this is true because I've gone through the door myself and I'm speaking to so many this morning who have done the same. Jesus is the door. If you've never done so before, I invite you to enter this door. And if you need any help to do so, contact the church. You have the number and the email address because we would be delighted to help you enter the door. For those who walk with him daily, he's reminding all of us this morning of who he is and encouraging us to help others in our community to find him too. I am the door, he said. So may God help us all to be the people he wants us to be this week and to lead others by our living to find this door for themselves. Jesus says, I am the door. Amen. And may God bless you all this week. <laughs>